Welcome to On the Side with Jackie London, a BS-free podcast where we're talking all things food, nutrition, and wellness to help you build healthier habits that stick. As a registered dietitian, author, journalist, and former clinician turned content creator, I've heard and seen it all. Join me each week as I debunk diet myths, explore the latest wellness trends, and answer all of your pressing listener questions. Plus, we'll hear from a guest who will kick off each interview weekly with a soup-to-nuts rundown and, okay, sometimes analysis of what they're eating, cooking, ordering in, or where they're dining out with tons of delicious ideas, lots of laughs, and plenty of pro tips in between. The one thing I can actually guarantee, I'll serve up tangible, actionable strategies to help you apply the science behind what works to what works best for you. Hey everyone, welcome back. I am so amped up about this episode of On The Side. You are gonna love this. I had the chance to sit down with Shakira Jones. Shakira is the founder of Black Girls Dine 2, a lifestyle brand, blog, and social media space that promotes and supports diversity and inclusion efforts for women and other underrepresented groups in the culinary and fine wine industries. She's a tech professional by day and a wine student, media personality, writer, TV producer, and restaurant lover by night. And in her spare time, we covered basically everything from what it means to actually recalibrate. Yes, this is Shakira's word, recalibrate, with champagne, to why lunch is stealthily the best meal of the day, or at least it can be. And we took a moment to reminisce about the absolute game changer that was Sushi Samba, the infamous restaurant here in New York. But what I love so much about Shakira is how passionate she is about making the super intimidating and often pretentious seeming world of wine and food to be that much more inclusive, more relatable, and just downright fucking useful. You're This is going to blow your mind. It was everything I needed on a Friday afternoon and much more. Honestly, it really just reminded me how much I love New York. The craziest thing about how I met Shakira is that we we randomly stumbled into one another outside of a restaurant here in New York, and the rest is history. I can't wait to go with her on a food and wine and cocktail crawl all around the city. We're going to talk about the power of a good food crawl as we get into the episode, but all I can say about this one is <laughs> you are welcome. Enjoy it. I will see you on the other side. But first, let's get to a quick listener question. All right, today's question, is it actually possible to eat healthy when you're dining out besides ordering like a salad? <laughs> yes, the answer to this is enthusiastically yes. So first thing I'd say is to double up on the veg. Anytime, anywhere, no matter what you're eating, if you can um, add extra veggies to your order, you are automatically practicing inclusivity, which you probably already know I'm a huge fan of, right? Where can you add more? What are, what are the foods that you love to eat and how can you add extra produce to those? So, you know, if you're ordering in Chinese, can you get a side of extra garlic green beans and mix that into, into your meal? Can you add extra fajita veggies if you're ordering a burrito? Or can you add extra toppings to a pizza in the form of vegetables, right? Anytime you can add more produce to any meal or snack that you're having, the more nutrient-dense that meal or snack becomes and the more satisfying it is. So right there, that's my number one. The next thing I would say is to think about what you're truly in the mood for and then prioritize flavor versus the filler. To give you a perfect example of what I'm talking about here is that, you know, I see this a lot with clients when we're talking about sushi right? Like, I just want to know what's the best sushi order. And I'm thinking to myself, like, but wh where are you ordering that sushi from? Because like, if it's somewhere fantastic, then you're probably prioritizing that sashimi and, you know, adding too much other muck into that mix is going to actually change the flavor. And maybe you won't really get the flavor of the fish. That is the whole reason that you're at this sushi restaurant, right? Another good example of this is chips and guac. You know, there are places I'm sure, around the world and even here in my hometown of New York that probably have great chips. But I think the real reason when we dine out for chips and guac, we are here for that guac. I mean, at least I am personally. <laughs> so consider what the star of the show is for you. Wherever you are, make decisions based on that location. So if you know that you are 
at the world's greatest Italian food restaurant, I'd say prioritize that great cheese that is, you know, DOP that you can only get from this one place. Like, like I'm thinking of Parmigiano Reggiano. Like if you want that, if you're in the mood for the cheese, go for that over, you know, the breaded and deep fried mozzarella sticks, right? Cause you're changing the flavor of the food that you are actually intending to eat at this meal. Anytime you can reframe your order in terms of what is flavor for you and what just feels like filler to you, that helps to make any meal, snack, appetizer, happy hour, nosh, whatever it is, that much lighter, but also satisfying. And the last thing I would say is to keep in mind that dessert was meant for after dinner. And I say that because so often I find that we are unknowingly consuming different sneaky sources of added sugar in the form of beverages. So if you're ordering a cocktail, go for something super simple, a martini, really high-end spirits on the rocks that you have to sip slowly just by nature of what it is. Maybe it's a glass of wine or a beer or again, I'm thinking about tequila and mezcal and my personal love of mezcal. So yeah, so think about what you can order that is just in its simplest form that's going to also make it the best and save the sweets for where they belong, which is in your dessert order, right? Because dessert is really the spice of life as far as I'm concerned, and all of us should be eating it. So instead of removing dessert, think about you know making making that cocktail order a little bit more streamlined so that you can enjoy that meal, have every bite that you love, and feel great about it and feel like you really got a satisfying dinner out. Okay, so that's it for today. Let's get back to our interview. Kira Jones, welcome. We're here. You have a beverage on the side, which I love. I have my beverage here too. Mine is the sad spindrift. Oh, oh, a rosé and a can. I'm so proud of you. That's beautiful. That can is also beautiful. This is like a beautifully painted. Is this Nomadica? Did I just make yeah. that up? It is. No. Oh. So it's not America. This is actually from Protector Sellers. And they are really more conscious of yeah. what happens when we have all of our wine bottles and stuff. So they're very much about like reducing their carbon footprint, which is really, really cool. And they're from Santa Maria, California. It's, it's pretty good rosé. Good for taking to the park. That is Alexa notifying me that something was delivered. Hey, <laughs> um, <laughs> But yeah, this is pretty good. It's It's got 13% alcohol. So it's Aww. a nice way to start the weekend. Um, That's an amazing way. I'm so glad that you could join us to just share a little bit about you, your experience, what you do both during the day and on the side, which I just love. Give me a like day in the life of Shakira Jones right now. Wow. Okay. So Shakira Jones is uh, an (laughs) IT professional that works in the healthcare sector. I work for uh, one of the largest health systems here in New York. Uh, I oversee security for a lot of our clinical applications, which is really just about keeping your data safe and protecting who gets to see what, when, where, and why. Uh, It is a a high stress job that I absolutely love. Um, But from the time really I was in college, I really, really from the time I was a kid, I've really been like an adventurous person when it comes to food, always trying to taste, see, smell, enjoy, experience other cultures and stuff. So I developed this hobby for food. Yeah. Um, and so as soon as, you know, you got a real job and, and could go out to restaurants without your parents paying for it, that's kind of what uh, my friends and I did to not age myself. We came of that age in the times of sex in the city. So (laughs) we would look up a lot of the places where they went. Brasby eight and a half being one of my favorites and one of the only ones that we could actually afford. (laughs) So God, yes. um, And so fast forward a little bit, I just continue to like have these amazing experiences and note that there weren't many other people that looked like me in these spaces. I didn't necessarily felt unwelcome. It was just weird. Like sometimes you notice things when you're the only of anything there. Um, And so I started to, I decided I was going to write about my experiences. I was going to write about how I described food and wine in my own language that I use with my friends, that I use with my family. And so I created a blog called Black Girls Dine Too, and here we are. I feel like what I love so much about Black Girls Dine Too, I feel like you're talking to me. And I also feel like you're talking about something that is always spoken about in the most esoteric sounding 
language like it's the calculus <laughs> of the culinary world like yes! I, right. I know like everyone's had that professor in college where you're like okay i'm really smart yet i don't understand i have no anything. idea what you're saying right right and then you drop that class and you take another professor and suddenly you have this light bulb moment and everything makes sense to you like wine and food are both communal activities like i'm an extrovert my favorite thing to do is to sit around talk eat and drink same um, same <laughs> And I think there's so many people like they like it too, but you go out to a restaurant and God forbid, it's like this moment of horror when the wine list is coming out. Everyone's looking at it like hot potato, like, please don't give it to me. Please don't give it to me. I don't know what it says. I don't know what it says. Um, As you were talking, I was thinking about that in the food context of like some of the, I always find that the directions for baking are also speaking a different language. What do you mean fold? I don't (sighs) feel like it's, I'm not folding a sweater. You're telling me to fold in the... I don't know why I have to fold this. That doesn't make sense. If I tried to fold it, I feel like... um, Do you remember that book, Amelia Bedelia? Amelia Bedelia draws the drapes and then she literally draws a picture of the drapes. Like that's... I'm like, imagine if I were Amelia Bedelia. I wouldn't be able to do this. Right. (laughs) I feel like that's not baking. Because there are so many things that... You know, I love to cook. I'm not a baker because I don't like to be exact. I like to throw things together and and make it do whatever it's going to do. Yeah. Um, But that's such a good example of something that's nuanced where if you wanted to make a recipe, like if you're going to tell me to fold it, then show what that means or give a footnote that like folding (laughs) just means taking batter from (laughs) underneath because otherwise then one could say that baking's intimidating, Right. right? So it's the same with wine. Like when you see these descriptors, I mean, some of the descriptors make me laugh. I'm like, well, if you've never smelled that, then you have no idea what that actually smells like. So I don't know why we would give that as a thing, but um, you know, like making things accessible and speaking to people in a language that is clear, is concise, and is relative to the way they speak, like that to me is the key to making food and wine more inclusive, more approachable, and helping people be more adventurous with what they're willing to try. Oh, I love that so much. But I love that so much. But I also think that's such a good point and maybe one that is why we're here at all, but also something that I feel like I think about a lot, but have not put in those words that you just put them in, which is so succinct and perfectly well said. Food and wine are inclusive activities, but they're not spoken about as such, right? Like when we're actually physically doing them, that's meant to be the ultimate inclusive activity. That's the ultimate connection to me. I just, it's really hard to imagine how we got to a point where I I don't, I don't know what you mean when you say notes of vetiver and cow manure. That sounds lovely and terrible, but what, you know? (laughs) And all those things, it's like, if you grew up on a farm and I told you something smelled like barnyard, that makes sense to you. If you grew up, on East 83rd Street, me telling you that something smells like barnyard doesn't make any sense to it you. It doesn't. But it if doesn't. I told you that it was like walking into Home Depot or Lowe's yeah. after a rainy day into the gardening section, then you know what that wet soil just got it. Yes, right. Or if you go in a park right after it rained, you know what wet soil or wet grass like. So it's just drawing yeah. these connections of like. There's not a universal language for anyone's Rolodex of smell or taste or anything. I mean, there are people, you know, we're talking about nutrition. There are food deserts right here in New York, right? right? Culinary capital of the world. There are people that cannot walk into a store within 10 blocks of their home and buy asparagus. How do you explain what asparagus tastes like to someone that's never had it before? Such a good point. Oh, gosh, that's really such a good point. Asparagus is also the perfect example. I I honestly, I mean, at the very least you could say it, there's kind of a bitterness. There's sometimes a sweetness. There's a funky texture. That's a little bit like your hair sometimes, but it's also (laughs) not, it's all, you know what? Like there's like a million ways that you would describe it, but none of them would really be all that accurate. And yeah, yeah. you'd have to get creative. Yeah. I mean, you have to be creative because like, and and that's the thing where I think that wine, Mm -hmm. um, at least people, many people that I know, and certainly myself are trying to do is trying to use the, the knowledge that you have and then broaden it. Yeah. Right. If you know what persimmon smells like or tastes like, right. okay, what else would you give someone that's never had a persimmon that's never tasted it? And even if they've tasted it, most people have 
you know, you've tasted cherries, but if I told you to sniff a glass and tell me if you smell cherries, if you haven't honed in on that, you know, and that's what a lot of wine is, it's really creating a sensory Rolodex. It's remembering what strawberries smell like. It's remembering what chives actually smell like. So it's a fun exercise that anyone can do. And you just build your vocabulary as you go along. So what was like the tipping point that got you into this determining that this might be something you wanted to explore more as a side project? I'm a nerd. (laughs) Um, Like that is the shortest of it. I am a nerd. And wine is probably one of the nerdiest and geekiest endeavors you can ever embark on. There is so much to know. And to learn from, there are places in the world that within a hundred miles, there's 300 different soil types. There's difference in elevation. There's this river feeds this. So it was just like constantly tasting and going, okay, if this is the same grape from the same country, why on earth does this taste so different? Mm. And then you jump into a rabbit hole, like, well, the producers make wine, those they make two different styles, but also that one's up there and this one's down here and that elevation changes everything. And there's a 30 degree temperature differential between them. So it just got really, really nerdy and I was loving it. But I mean, I'm friends with really, really smart people, but you know, like when you have a friend, any friend, once they get like wrapped up in something, they can't stop talking about it. And everyone else is like, okay, cool. Yeah. Not really there with you. I usually feel like I'm that friend, but yes, I do. I am (laughs) often that friend, but I think that most of my friends, like we all have something that like, it's their thing. And so I always start to go like, but but when I pour you wine, you like it. Right. And they're like, yeah, but we don't care about right. the encyclopedia of stuff. And it's like, you know what? That makes sense to me. Yeah. But I still want you to learn your own palate so that you don't need to text me when you go into the wine shop so that right. you can start to verbalize what you want. Because the amount of times I guess, Kira, I had this wine, the bottle was blue. Do you know it? No, No. (laughs) my brain is not that big. Um, And so just seeing within my own immediate circle of friends and my own community that I was able to get people to start, get excited about wine, to start enjoying it with the cuisines that they were eating and, and the global landscape of food, you know, friends from several different backgrounds and being able to help them enjoy wine and find wines that go with either what they actually eat, maybe they're more traditional dishes from whatever culture they're from. Um, That was just great. And I realized that, you know, I I have a knack for it and and people like learning. And so I'm like, all right, well, use your talents and do something with it. And here we are. Yes. You know, what's really interesting to me is you used the word encyclopedia a lot. And I like that speaks to me with so many components of this and what stands out to me about um, about a lot of what you're saying is that people like you and I really like about wine in general and about lots of different types of both commodity products and foods. I would imagine I'm just making that assumption about you, but I think you'll like what I'm about to say, which is that we like to know the story. Like we want to know yeah. the history. We want to know the details. We want to know what are the agricultural conditions? What was it like on this day that this grape was picked? Like we like to know that stuff. And I get that that I, I agree with you. I get that that's not as appealing to everybody. It's very useful when you give people the information when they've identified something that they want to know, yes. right? So if I give you two glasses of wine and you go, man, I really prefer this one to this one. Yeah. What's different, right. right? And then I go, well, it's the exact same grape. Right. No way. Right, right. It but one's from California and one's from France, right? Right. <laughs> right. And Napa's really hot and a right. lot of parts of France really aren't that hot at all. Right. So if you're enjoying the one from Napa more, then it's more likely that you like warmer temperature places where this grape is grown. So if you like it from Napa, let's think about some other warm countries on the on the planet and warm places on the planet where you should try this from too. So it's kind of letting, it's almost Socratic and yeah. like letting people ask questions and you just give them what they need. But if you told me, oh, I like this one versus this. And I started with, well, geographically that you right. like, okay, right. I'm <laughs> I'm done. I don't want to hear any more. You've ruined it. <laughs> now I'll just have a martini and be done. Right. I'm having, okay. Thanks so much for that. I'm having a martini. For um, sure. So, so let's talk about current 
current dining and drinking versus two years ago. <laughs> versus 2019. So 2021 versus 2019, what would you say are the biggest shifts that we've seen and that you've personally undergone in terms of how you are eating and drinking, how you're approaching, choosing what you want to talk more about, to write about, to to learn more about? How, How has this shifted our collective narrative around food and drink? Um, I think in the last couple years, like people have been more vocal about things that they've been seeing um, for some time. So in some ways, I think balance has really become like the buzzword of the moment. And I don't know that I... I probably have uh, an unfavorable opinion of what balance means because to me, for things to be in balance, it means that you're giving equal attention to everything at the same time, which I don't think is really possible. Um, And so I think prioritization becomes something that's more important Um, for someone like me that over the last two years has certainly drank a lot more Mm -hmm. than usual, um, making choices to still maintain a relatively healthy life, right? Like um, pre-pandemic, pandemic, it was very rare that I drank at home, right? Because I do really appreciate the social component of drinking. I don't really enjoy sitting at home drinking by myself that much. It's not fun. The pandemic (laughs) in the beginning definitely changed that. 100%. So I've definitely become um, very mindful of like, all right, if I'm going to be drinking, let's not go crazy on like the bad food that I'll eat in the day or making sure that I am keeping my physical activity up so that there's some sort of relative balance between like, okay, alcohol's a vice. Like you're never going to hear me preach to anyone that wine is healthy. No, it oh, isn't. Yes, it has I will. antioxidants <laughs> and that stuff, but so does <laughs> pomegranate juice. Like you do not, you will not get me to justify the health benefits yeah. of wine. I, I can. That's what I'm so here for. That's what I... <laughs> Yeah, you can. I can. I will. Uh, but I just yeah. Um, and I think in terms of like things that we've been writing about, you know, I'm originally from Belize. Yeah. Like I'm from a, a very, very large diaspora Caribbean family. And throughout like my culinary journey, it's always been fun yeah. to see people like, oh my God, this place has goat. And I'm like, I grew up eating goat. That's not a unique right. food to me. Or even people describing wine, like when they'll say something, it's like spicy, like a jalapeno. I'm like, mm, the part of the world that I'm from, that would never be considered spicy. Yeah. But it's those types of things where like we've really had to stretch the language to, you know, am I wrong? If, if, if I describe something as sour, okay, maybe you say lemon, but somebody from Southeast Asia might say tamarind, which is exponentially more sour than right. any lemon that you're yeah. ever going to eat. So just being inclusive through our language and saying, well, I've never heard of that fruit. What is it? Can you describe it to me? Can you tell me how it's used? And using those opportunities instead of our lack of knowledge being used to exclude other people from the conversation because we can't relate, using those opportunities to expand what we know. I love hearing somebody go, oh, I've had this before with this dish. This is me raising my hand. I have no idea what that dish is. What is it? Oh, you do know what it is, but you probably know it as dot, dot, dot. Well, where I'm from, it's called, like, those are the moments. Like, those are, that's why I like eating by myself sometimes. I used to love going to restaurants by myself because I would meet the most amazing people and have these conversations that are just mind-blowingly interesting and fascinating and enjoy a great meal at the time. So I think really, um, one, in my food choices, like, balancing eating not healthy foods and um you know when I am in control of what I'm eating like you know I I intermittently fast so I generally only eat between um noon and 8 p.m I've always been a water drinker so I definitely consume more than a gallon of water a day which is really beneficial when you spend a lot of time drinking (laughs) alcohol Uh, um, that's balanced some people would say that's balanced that's balanced for me (laughs) and then in writing it's just really being mindful of always making sure however I frame what I'm writing about, I share the questions that I have about the same topic. You know, like, all right, this is what I know about this, but I'm curious to know where else have you seen or heard or had these juxtapositions? I mean, we we had an incredible meal that night, right? All of the dishes were so well made and, and beautiful, but 
if you read it, it's French, right? So somebody might see that menu and go, I'm not eating any of this. I'm like, it's an avocado salad with some grains <laughs> and one of the best dressings you'll ever eat in your life. But it's delicious. So right? true. It's just that it's not a language that you know. Right. So just really being mindful in the way I write to be inclusive in the language and, and to make it a conversation where even if you didn't know anything about it, but you were interested, you wouldn't feel out of place joining that conversation. Yeah, I mean, so so where Shakira and I met is um, is at Le Pavilion, which is the new Daniel Baloud restaurant here in Midtown Manhattan. The most fabulous meal that either of us could have imagined, I would say, having maybe ever, but especially after this last year, it just felt like the most extravagant, luxurious experience. But what what is so interesting to me about what you just said is that I when we when we sat down to eat and I was looking over this menu, it's exactly that, right? It's exactly that point, which is this is still just asparagus or this is still just an avocado salad. And I I use the word just because I feel like there is some level of just humanizing it, right? As opposed to saying this is an avocado salad, right? Like <laughs> If I were to act right. like it's some it's big deal, right? It will be the, probably the best prepared avocado salad I've ever had, but it's still avocado. Like it, there is that common base, you know, understanding of the fact that these things, these foods, these different spices, herbs, whatever is in our midst, no matter where we are, are somewhat familiar to us in some way. Not everything, you know, has to have this like clout of prestige, but sometimes depending on who's making it, it, can. it will. It, can. <laughs> it will. But a shirt is a shirt, yeah. right? Some shirts cost $10, some shirts cost right, $5,000, exactly. right? A $5,000 shirt is not accessible to everyone that the $10 accessible shirt is. I, I, I think that within everything, there's enjoyment of it for everyone. And then there are luxuries right. in life where like, I'm not going to pretend that everybody is going to go to La Pavilion and enjoy a meal there. I'm going to tell you that if you want to treat yourself, you should, because it's gorgeous. Not only is the food exquisite, but it's a gorgeous, gorgeous restaurant. But I also recognize that this happens to be a Mm. hobby of mine and this might not be a hobby of everyone else's. And I totally, totally get that. Um, I also like chicken over rice from the halal truck too. Like uh, every meal is not going to be a Michelin star meal for me. I mean, um, no, it's really, it's such a good point. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be one way or the other. And I like that. I like that concept too. It's a little bit like seeing your personal preferences as the lens for how you want to spend time, money. Um, I think it's a really good point. I I want to switch gears for a moment. Shakira has this guide on Black Girl Stein 2 that is what, basically the strategy when going into a master, a grand tasting. So, So first explain what a grand tasting is, then let's talk strategy, and then let's talk about some... Some key takeaways. So a grand tasting, um, they're coming back now and I could not be more excited. There are tons of organizations. Um, It could be something like Wine Spectator. It could be a particular region that's just doing wines of the world from their region. But grand tastings generally can have 30 or 40 producers or 100 or 200 producers there. And you're invited to taste the wines. Uh, now, when you say that to people, they're generally like, what? That sounds like heaven. I just get to walk around and taste a ton of wine. Awesome. And yes, it sounds great. I wrote that article because I saw so many people get <laughs> trashed oh, God. and embarrass themselves oh, at God. these events because they didn't have a strategy <laughs> for how to approach this. So you need a strategy for this because... I mean, wine is not, you know, it's not vodka or bourbon. It doesn't have that much alcohol in a glass of it. But if you're walking around and you're just constantly, and there's a lot of good wine there, you will find yourself 
tipsy quite early if you don't pay attention to what you're doing. So I think one of the weirdest things about wine and people find it jarring is this concept of a spit bucket, but it's very, very important (laughs) to have, like so necessary. One, your your palate, it, it can get fatigued, right? So if you are constantly tasting, you know, these very big, bold wines, after a couple of them, right. you, you won't, they'll all taste the same. You, you won't be able to discern anything different. So you need a strategy for what you're going to drink, how you're going to strategize drinking it so that your palate isn't completely ruined, where your resets are, and how to not to get, get too drunk to embarrass yourself. Uh, <laughs> but I, I wrote that out of observation of just seeing way too many people like... What's happening here, Tommy? Right. Like I, yeah. Oh my God. Okay. So, all right. So first of all, I have a couple questions. First, what is the palette reset setup situation? Oh, it's the best thing ever. Your palate reset is going to be an acidic wine that makes your mouth water. My favorite one of all time, champagne. You'll always yes! see a reset <laughs> for me with champagne. It'll recalibrate your palate. Um, They're normally not very high in alcohol. The bubbles are almost like kind of a tongue scrubber in a weird way. And there's a lot of acid in those wines. So it makes your mouth salivate and produce a lot of saliva, which kind of helps you get all of the heavy stuff off. But you also like, if you're at a tasting where there are reds and whites, then you're strategic about that too. Here are the cliff notes to this guy. Okay. (laughs) When you get there, you always get a booklet that tells you exactly what wines are where. So... What you do first is take a scan of if there's producers there that you know, like I have to taste this wine, I'm I'm dying to taste what's new from them, blah, 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 blah. You go to those first, right? Yeah. And then for the new things where you want to be able to taste and be really intellectual about tasting and take your notes and stuff, do those first, right? <laughs> Get them done. Get, Get them, them out, out of the, out the way. way. It's like doing your homework on Friday when you were a kid, right? <laughs> do that first. You can go to two buck chuck at the end at of the this end. event and actually outside and that's not it, in this not right? in this and room for me <laughs> it's every two glasses some water not a lot yeah. of water though because you'll you'll mute your palate with water too so you don't want to yeah. overdo it but drink water alcohol dehydrates you so you don't want to be drinking all day and not you know at the first go around spit everything out no matter how much it pains you because some of these wines are amazing you don't want to waste a drop of it but first go around when i'm tasting to take notes i spit everything out and i make note of what i loved and want to go back and taste right so you do your whites and your bubblies if you're gonna go to reds have a little champagne reset, move to your reds from light bodies to heavy. So you kind of have to know what is what. Um, And then at the end of it, revisit all the things you really, really enjoyed within moderation. Then you're just drinking at a bar and you should know. (laughs) Don't get too drunk at the bar. But really, I wrote that out of necessity and seeing, especially like when you are newer to these spaces, I totally get the first time you get invited to one. It's like Bell when like the beast opens up the library oh yeah you know you get super big as like oh my god and then a lot of these tastings like it's exquisite wines like wines that you probably wouldn't actually want to have to spend your own money on to buy so it's really really easy to get like giddy but it ends badly for so many people (laughs) not the professionals but sometimes you can buy it these aren't always just trade events you can buy tickets to a lot of this stuff and the tickets aren't cheap so i get it if you spend 250 worth on a ticket you want to drink 250 worth of wine but think about how much that actually is if you are a restaurant (laughs) don't drink quadruple that it won't end well (laughs) (laughs) i what this makes me think about the most is is South Beach <laughs> is South Beach Wine and Food Festival, which is annual and also took place this year, which was epic. But I've never seen because this is the thing. So like this event takes place in at the end of February, and I think this year it was in May. They later, did this year? yeah, it was right. much later this year. So you know it's gonna be hot. Yeah, you know it's gonna be People hot. People are like, fleeing New York because we just had like eight snowstorms back to right. Back. Right. So people like want to unleash. They want to be out in the sun, but you're going to dehydrate pretty quick. Quick. (laughs) 
quick. And <laughs> that's even more dangerous think. because that's got cocktails and right. wine. And you're drinking right. cocktails that have some sort of mixer in there. So now you're adding sugar to the party too. A lot of this is science. I'm like, I want someone to write a book on like the science of getting intoxicated (laughs) so that you can stop yourself. (laughs) Right? Before before it happens, you understand that the same thing will happen over and over again if you don't put some things in there to help you out. I, it's funny you say that because I I have not written this book exactly, but I do I have written quite a bit about making these choices when it comes to sugary bevs and sugary mixers and how these are real bad if you have anything that you might want to get done tomorrow. Hard pass, <laughs> or mama. or even if you're day drinking, maybe you just want to go for the less the less sweet the better. Yeah. That's probably gonna be your best option. But it's it's funny to me that uh, that where you so often see that kind of sugary beverage moment is really where it it looks like an absolute bucket of water yeah. in the desert, right? Like it's like a pina colada on a luxurious white sandy beach. It's like, oh gosh, okay. I just want to roll around in that thing. Right. Like, no, you don't. No, you don't. <laughs> no, no, you you're don't. Gonna be thirsty in three seconds. You're, you're going to be, be so the outside of that glass. Right. You're so <laughs> thirsty, but you know, like that's the um, and that's where, like, I think there's still so much beauty to bring into like worlds colliding. You know, like yeah. even as a dietitian, like we all we all know that we we have choices. Yeah. Um, but sometimes we can make more informed choices than others. Right. And I think right. things like that, like, look, you like drinking, so does everyone else. Don't drink all your calories away. You're better off eating them. You better I'm off totally with you. Having I'm these, so these with super you. Super syrupy drinks, which Miami, I mean, everywhere you oh, walk yeah. down anything, it's these colossal frozen <laughs> drinks with a Corona. T- I'm like, oh, you, you don't want, maybe it's my age. I'm going to be 40. Like I can't function if I do that. There's no hope for me. Like none. There's no recovery from that. I would need a full week to recover from drinking something like that. Shakira, I tried to make a frozen Tom Collins two weeks ago. Don't, first of all, why was I doing that? I mean, I there's definitely more something else I probably could have been doing with that time rather than making a frozen Tom Collins for no reason on a random weekday night. So I will say, though, the funny thing about this experience is that watching myself pour the liquid sugar into this blender, and then, by the way, sadly, it was way too sweet for me. Mm-hmm. Like, talk about, like, that's when you know, it's like, <laughs> just like another version of a book, how you know you're old. Yes. When you stop thinking that a, like, frozen drink actually tastes good and it's actually too sweet for you and you're not just saying that, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Listen, by this point, we've evolved to... Most of us, even if we started off drinking our coffee with a ton of cream and sugar, we are either at full black coffee or very close to it. Like, I feel like that. Like, I am I am not a person that likes sugar in general. Like, like even at a restaurant, I will almost, there are a handful of pastry chefs in New York where I actually want dessert. But generally, I'll get cheese and call it a day. Like, I am not a sweets person at all. We've got to get back to this. You just said something that I, I've, we've got to dive in on, which is the pastry chefs in New York that you are going to order dessert from. Can you give me three? Maybe five. Um, oh, I'm so excited about this. So <laughs> funny enough, she actually just left a restaurant because she is going to have a baby any day now. So Julie Eklund, she's a rising star mm-hmm. chef. She was at Batard for years. She makes some of the most incredible um, desserts ever because they are complicated but simple. Um, mm. Like one of the best things she's ever made to me is this blueberry olive oil cake. But I literally probably went to have dinner like three times in the same week just so that I could have, because she changes her desserts so often. I think that the pastry team at Danielle uh, also makes phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal desserts. And then I like Milk Bar. I like Christina Toys, like, you know, like this fun, whimsical way of playing with desserts and 
putting her childhood and her experiences into desserts. Like those, I feel like it's more of an expression of the chef that I'm enjoying than just the sugar. Um, But in any course menu, if you give me the option of having cheese or dessert, I will always choose cheese and not dessert. I don't even like chocolate. Ooh, so what kind of cheese? What would be your go-to cheese? Oh, I like Comte. The stinkier, the better. I like Comte. I like a lot of like the funky, soft French cheeses. Like um, there's a new restaurant in Brooklyn called Francie. Uh, A dear friend of mine owns it, but he still has a cheese cart. So at the end of the meal, like he comes to the table with a cheese cart. There's like... And he loves cheese. So they're like sourced. Some are international. Some are like local. And it's delicious. And you just get this beautiful plate of assorted cheeses. You get some dried fruit. You get some nuts. You get some honey. It's heaven. Like that is the perfect ending to my meal. I I don't need dessert. Just that. And I'm very happy. I honestly would take each course from the cheese cart. I would be like, can we do just the cheese cart tasting menu? Does that exist? (laughs) <laughs> so then you have to go, you have to go to France. Yes. You have to, you have to. It's Francie. So That's yes. what you said? Okay. Amazing, amazing. I think I've been, they just opened like during COVID. I think I've been there like four or five times now. It's so good. And they have one of the best duck dishes I've ever eaten in life. Really? Yes. Really? Absolutely. Okay. So let's, so let's imagine we were going on a food crawl. All right. Just us. We're going out for the day. Actually, we should just do this. Now that we can do this, we should just do this. this. So this is actually just like a planning activity. Got it. (laughs) This is a question. No, it's a planning activity. Where are we going? Where would we start? What are we having? So I would would begin in Harlem at Boulevard Bistro. B-L-V-D. Um, they have, I forgot what the name of the flower. I want to say it's lily flower, but they make some of the best biscuits ever. Really? Like biscuits, two pieces of really well-made fried chicken, some potato salad. Like it's delicious, right? Um, but you can literally go to Boulevard Bistro just for the biscuits. It's that good. And then, all right. So I'm going to go, I dropped my niece and nephew off to school. Okay. So I had before that. So we had these biscuits and then I'm running errands. Oh, it's, it's, it's lunchtime. So for lunch, I think that if you've been dying to treat yourself to like, one of these fancy Michelin star restaurants or anything like that. I think lunch is actually the best time to go because it's a cheaper menu. So but true. Standards are absolutely not um, reduced in any way, shape or form. And you can really get a feel for the style and the cuisine and see if it's even something you like. So for lunch, I would go to your neighborhood. I would go to Sean George. I would get a nice table outside at Nogotan. I would definitely get the tuna tartare because it's one of the best in the cities. Uh, I'd get a nice ginger margarita. Yes, a ginger margarita. Yes. Oh, my God. It's the greatest tuna tartare. I forgot about how good it was. So, and you can people watch there, right? You get a table outside, you can people watch and chill. So we had lunch, (laughs) doing some more stuff. I'm going to keep putting my my darling niece and nephew into this. So they go to school. I love that. They go to school in the Upper West Side uh, and there's a tiki bar on the corner of their school. Amazing cocktails and $5 chicken sandwiches. (laughs) Wait, really? Yes. Wait, how did I? Oh, because I've only been there at like a late night hour where I, I couldn't even... I yeah. couldn't even stand it. I was like, I'm too old. It's like, it's yeah. time to go home. Um, so $5 <laughs> chicken sandwiches and great cocktails. So What's like, the is, name? What's the name of I that tiki bar? I literally think it's called Tiki Chick. It is. It is. It is. Tiki Chick. Yeah. Yeah. So I would go there. Um, and like, that's maybe the in-between... All right, I'll spend some time with the kiddos and then I'm going to give them back to their parents and then I'm going to get dressed and I'm going to have dinner. And so I'm going to pick dinner at two different places depending on if it's a weekend or a weeknight. Oh, oh I like this answer so much. You're, so by the way, you're crushing this answer. Night, mm-hmm. right? I'm going to assume that I want to go somewhere where if I wanted to go somewhere after, I could still go somewhere else after yeah. or... The restaurant is designed for even after I have dinner, if I wanted to still hang out and have a couple cocktails, the restaurant is designed for that. 
So if it's a weekday and I'm doing that, I'm definitely going to Coat, Korean Steakhouse on 22nd Street, um, one of the best wine lists in the city too. Um, incredible cocktail program. The food's amazing. Playlist is probably like, I feel like between them and the Peloton instructors, like they've got one <laughs> secret society of DJs that the rest of us just don't have access to. Exactly. Um, but I love that place, you know, pre-COVID, and I think it's coming back after COVID. They've got like this little kind of lounge night, not nightclub. It's really a lounge situation downstairs called Undercoat. Super mm. cute. And so you can keep the party going or pre-game there, depending on what you're in the mood for. Uh, if it's a weekend, I'm going back to Harlem to Clay. Ooh. Clay is on 124th Street and Manhattan Avenue. It's owned by a husband and wife. Super simple, delicious, farm-to-table, locally sourced, seasonal ingredients. And like sleeper alert, they're a wine spectator, like award-winning wine list. They have one of the best Spanish wine lists in all of New York City. So if it's Saturday night and I, I want to have cocktails and a good meal and some good wine, I'm going to Clay and Harlem. Food crawl, and we haven't even touched on like any of the ethnic neighborhoods. That we I know, I know. <laughs> like we just kept it very simple there. But that—that's a good crawl for me. I'm not. I'm embarrassed to say how many times that's probably actually what's happened because I've met up with like three different sets of friends <laughs> for three different meals, and that—that's happened. But that's a good solid crawl for me. That's a that's easily the best answer to a crawl question. I think I will ever receive simply because of of how you you mapped that geographically you were like we're gonna start in harlem we're gonna come downtown a little bit <laughs> then yeah. we'll come because then we'll loop exactly around that's the if crawl we, if we started you know if we were in the if pre-covid if we started right. in the office now we're starting from exactly. a whole different place we've got different things to do right but um but i think that Though having a call sometimes is the best way to explore your city too, because there's an alarming, I think people always find it funny and don't know how many New Yorkers don't actually explore New York. You know, everyone stays the in time. their borough, in their neighborhoods and doesn't really venture out. So a fun activity, if food is your thing and, and you want to have a good time, then pick three restaurants in three totally different parts of town and, and do three meals and have a good time. Meet up with three different people, like make a day out of it. I love that because you could easily stay, you know, even if we were to play this game as like a Lower East Side crawl. Or a queen's crawl, right? Like you could just pick a borough. You could just pick a neighborhood. You could try to do four all over Manhattan or try or to cross, one or cross train line. Bridge. Exactly. I did that before. That's I really fun. What, which line and the where to go? So Ooh. I started in, 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 I started uptown in Inwood. I uh, came through Midtown, went all the way down in the financial district. Like those are fun things right. to it's do, so you know, like and a, yeah. just a great way to be out. Every neighborhood is a total different vibe, total different energy. Um, and it's fun. Last year, I tried this little experiment. Have you ever been to the Willy Wall, which is like in the middle of New York Harbor? It's like no. this hidden. Okay. Okay. You would love it because you would just love that you had tried this random thing. You are in the middle of New York Harbor in what feels like this like hidden gem where you have to take a boat to get there. Well, and what is like nothing like that exists in New York. You know what I mean? So you're technically in Jersey. Like you have to get to Jersey City. So you take one ferry to get to Jersey City. Then once you're in Jersey City, you get to the other boat that takes you out to the middle of the harbor. And it's Glorious. Okay, I have to do this. That's right. going to be on my list of summer things to do. Right? But it's such a summer activity. so fun. I'm like, you know, there are so many, I think people forget, like, New York has such a rich history, like, yeah. culinary speaking and with cocktails. I'm like, yeah, these speakeasies exist in New York City. Go on a speakeasy crawl. Every friend that I have that, like, starts dating someone new, I'm like, go to a speakeasy. Like, if you like them, it's so cute. Like, trying to find where they are sometimes is an adventure on its own. You can tell a lot about a person based on the cocktails that they order. Could not agree <laughs> more. You can tell yes. so much about people based on the cocktails they order. But I love it. Like, adventures like that in the city just broaden like what's here it's a privilege to live in just one of the most culinary rich cities in the world um and even the places that you don't think you can enjoy or or 
you know, the modern is, you know, yeah. two Michelin star restaurant used to be a lot, but my favorite part of the modern was the lounge where you could get a bucket of fried chicken and a bottle of bubbly for under 50 the bucks. Best. I know that was the best. And the fact that you're at the modern makes it just, just the setting makes you feel like, oh my God, what this is, is so happening? Lo- this is amazing. It's the best thing. Like that used to be my Friday night. Like on any given Friday night, it's very likely that you could have found me there. I love those those adventure moments. I love the idea of the food as the adventure or as part of the adventure or even what you said about the cocktails. We got to talk about that. Give me a cocktail that you're like, I wouldn't go out with you if you ordered this cocktail. Uh, whiskey you can sour. be honest. It's a safe place. Oh, totally agree. Yeah. Whiskey What's wrong? Sour. Why are you? Why are you ordering that? Why, anything any, with a any sour in it? Amaretto sour. Any of that? Like if you're ordering is- sour mix. You're not for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's like totally no. Agree. Like I would rather you order like a whiskey ginger. Anything but a sour. No sour mixes. I, I don't trust you if you're ordering sours. There, you're not a trustworthy person. There's no. why would you order a sour a sour I'm mix? Sorry. I totally I agree. Feel like a lot of people have failed you because you've been ordering that sour for, like, if you got it when you were sixteen at a wedding, and I the get bartender it. Didn't right. realize that right. it wasn't serving you anything. Uh, so be it. But now, I don't want you ordering sours. No, I don't no, even I want you know. at bars that have sour mix. How about that? That's that's it. I could probably spend the rest of my day talking to you, which is why for the sake of giving you some of your time back, I'm going to take us through our last little speed round because I'm dying to know your answers to these questions, right? I so we not this speak. I don't know them, so this is going to be Oh, fun. yes. Okay, good. Okay. So this is a speed round that I that take your time answering them. They can be as short or as long as you want and they're just uniquely yours. Okay. Favorite food memory or food or wine memory? Cooking with my grandmother, certainly. Those are some of the best memories of of my life is cooking with my grandmothers and um, truly getting to witness what it means to cook with love and watching them do these labor intensive dishes and then the joy of watching them watch their families like enjoy these meals together. Best Best, best food memory ever. Foodie. Ugh. <laughs> I hate that word so much. I know. I know. I read but that. I read that on. I'm going to go Tell us. with the late, great Anthony Bourdain. If ever Ooh. there was a foodie, then Anthony wow. Bourdain was it. Because Ooh, he respected yeah. the food, the ingredients, the places, the people, the traditions, all of it. So if anyone is to be called a foodie, let's make Anthony Bourdain the standard of foodies. Most underappreciated region in the world for wine? Ooh, easy. Spain. Um, Spain has some of the oldest wine regions. Spain has, I think it's third, only to Italy and Portugal maybe, of indigenous grapes. Um, they've had influence from so many different cultures throughout, you know, Europe was one big battleground for so long. Um, and so there's so much influence that's come through Spain and much to it's, it's a bittersweet moment in that I think the wine should be way more expensive than they are, but then I won't buy as much. (laughs) I would still, but it would be, it would be me acting in my own against the interest of my bank account. But no, I think Spain offers people the best value to um, taste grapes that they might not know about. And they have some of the most food friendly wines and even, um, you know, trying to pair global cuisines with it. There are Spanish wines that go with Indian cuisine, that go with West Indian cuisines, that go with um, Southeast Asian cuisines. So I think for the versatility and the price value, space. Okay, you sort of answered this one already, but if you had to say best ever dessert, even though I know you're not a dessert person, you could you could answer that with a snack if you want, because we haven't really talked much about yeah. snacks today. I mean... So I'm not a big snacker. That's the like other that. thing with me. With I have, um, I mean, I probably, we, we can talk about that. I probably need to be better at that, that I don't have good hunger triggers. So I'm either not hungry or starving. <laughs> I don't really pick up on when, hey, maybe you should just probably right. eat now because enough, enough time has gone by. But okay, 
It's going to be from Julie again. So I have to make sure I send her this episode. She made, you know, sometimes I think that making the most simple desserts well is challenging for people. Myself included. Absolutely. She made one of the best strawberry shortcakes ever. It was like this cake that was just moist and light and the Chantilly cream was perfect. And it was like, I don't know if like she has a secret access to like Oprah's strawberry patch or something, (laughs) but everything about that dish was just perfection. And of all time, it's probably this banana cake thing that Sushi Samba used to make, but because people can't, you, you have to be of a certain time to have known of the greatness of Sushi Samba. How would you end this sentence? Pizza and... Oh, pizza and wine, for pizza sure. Pizza and wine. Pizza and what kind of wine? Pepperoni pizza and Barbaresco. Ooh, most random slash strangest. When I say strange, I just mean like strange for you. Like most random thing that you have maybe ever tried, eaten, tasted? Like Ah, um, well, I've had a lot of those moments um, <laughs> of things that I, I will never eat again. Uh, but I've had balut before. Which one? Uh, what did you say? Balut is uh, from the Philippines, and it's like a partially developed egg. <laughs> um, it's a great answer. <laughs> it's a pretty great answer. I, Eat that again. <laughs> no. Um, what did it, it taste like? Not anything that I ever want to remember or think about having in my mouth ever again. Everything about this interview just made my whole week. Before we officially end, Shakira, tell us where we can find you. What? Tell, give us a little sneak peek about Psalm 4 and where everyone can find you and follow you and learn more, hear more about you and your vast bastion of knowledge that is being held in your brain right now because uh, I just want to stay here all day. But also so maybe we can snack while we do that. <laughs> this has been an amazing conversation. I can't wait for us to like do a crawl. I we'll have know. to chronicle a crawl. Um, thank you so much for having me. You guys can follow me um, on Instagram. It is blackgirlsdine 2 T-O-O. On Twitter, because of character limitations, it's blackgirlsdine 2 the number two. My website is blackgirlsdine 2com If you love food and wine and all things associated with it, you should definitely consider subscribing to Som TV. Um, I have two documentaries on Som TV now, and I host a weekly wine show where I just pick wines. We drink them, we talk about them, and I let you know um, what I think about them. Sometimes I might use real wine words to describe them. Sometimes I might use Disney characters. You never know. So if you're interested in that, there are, uh, I think there's a free trial for like three days now. Uh, it's on somtv.com. Um, Som 4 is coming. It's going to be so much fun. I think that those movies really... You know, they they pull the curtain back on a very, very specific part of wine um, that I think is, again, very, very specific and, and really just a sliver of how broad the world of wine is. But I think as far as like culturally shifting who people think of in wine, um, those films really opened up people's eyes to see that everyone doesn't look the same. And even if they did before, they don't anymore. So I'm really excited to share that with everybody. Uh, There's a documentary on there that I completed during COVID called Crush, where we really, I took everyone on a journey, literally from being out in the vineyards, harvesting the grapes, taking them to the press, getting them in the tanks. Um, and then in the end, we drank some of the wines that we actually picked. Uh, it's hilarious. I'm terrified of bugs. Who knew there were that many bugs involved in picking grapes? Um, it's a really fun one. But yeah, I, I just, I love sharing food and wine with people. That's really the core of why I do any of this. Well, I'm so glad that you shared food and wine with me today. I really appreciate it. That was awesome. And I can't wait to do it again. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you, Shakira. Thanks so much for tuning in today to this episode of On the Side with Jackie London. If you enjoyed today's episode, please snap a screenshot of your podcast app on your phone, post it to your Instagram stories, and tag me at Jacqueline London RD to let me know your favorite takeaway from any part of the episode. 
If you're loving the show, if there's a topic you'd love to hear more about or a guest you'd love to listen to here, I'd absolutely love to hear from you. You can scroll down on your podcast app to where it says ratings and reviews and rate this one five stars, of course, and share your feedback. Your words might just be what the next person needs to tune in and start feeling more empowered and living better, one meal or snack at a time. Of course, be sure to follow on the side wherever you get your podcasts to ensure you won't miss out on any episodes. And remember to check us out. Check out the Q&A deep dive on the On The Side YouTube channel. This show is produced and edited by Elizabeth Evans Media Productions. I'm your host and executive producer, Jacqueline London. Keep in mind that any advice provided on this podcast is based off of my clinical judgment and application of research and practice as a registered dietitian, and it should not take the place of medical advice from your own personal physician. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.